Hey, my name is Tom, and I love Jesus. I love everything about him. I love being with him. I've committed my life to him. I've been trying my best to follow him for a very long time. And honestly, I still struggle with um, how and why he chooses to, to love me. But thankfully, he's given us lots of gifts. He's given me lots of gifts. He had, he's given me the Holy Spirit, the part of him that resides within me to remind me of the fact that he loves me. He's given me his Bible to remind me of the fact that he loves me. He's given me you guys to remind me of the fact that he loves me. I also love Crossroads. I love the individuals. I love the community. I love the work that God has been doing in and through us for 26, almost 27 years now. And Crossroads exists as one of many churches in this area. Some good, some bad, some in between. But there are lots of great churches who are trying to help people connect with Jesus, like the Church of the Apostles or Christ Presbyterian Church or Trinity or Vox or Black Rock, all pointing to Jesus in very different, very specific ways. Of course, I'm a little biased, and I think Crossroads is doing, and God is doing an amazing thing through Crossroads. All that to say is, I feel like Crossroads has a unique role to play in this area. Don't get me wrong, I'm going to do a little happy dance whenever somebody comes to know Jesus at another place or somebody grows in Jesus through the work of another ministry. But I think God has given us a very unique and evolving role to play here in this area. And there is definitely more work to be done. There's still, there's still more to come. And as we think about the work that Jesus has given us to do at Crossroads, we also might jump to um, the idea that there's some pretty significant obstacles standing in between us and that work. For example, what I'm calling a pandemic hangover, whether as individuals we realize it or not, this is something that is either right now affecting us or is going to affect all of us. Um, some of us have picked up bad habits along the way. Some of us have picked up extra pounds along the way. Many of us, maybe all of us, are experiencing very real, very legitimate feelings of loss and grief. Uh, feelings of anxiety and depression and social anxiety, all those things are elevated right now. And then we look at the state of our nation right now. There is division and unrest within our borders, unlike anything we've seen since maybe the 1960s. Maybe go all the way back to the 1860s. And then there's technology. Technology is advancing at such a speed right now that we are watching science fiction become reality right before our very eyes. And we don't even have time to think about the ramifications of that, the morality, the ethics of, of what that technology does to who we are, the way we think, the way we operate, and the way we treat each other. And then finally, we look at uh, the numbers around spirituality and faith, and specifically Christianity. Um, at a high level, it used to be a, not only an expectation that individuals and families would participate in, in some form of worship, but it was a good thing. Now, not only is that expectation not there, but in many locations, it's frowned upon. And then as we kind of dig down into that information, we look at folks um, my, my age and older, 
and there's this phenomenon called, uh, sociologists call it the duns, the, the exodus of the duns, people who are done with religion. They're just leaving organized religion because it doesn't work for them. They've had it. And then the, the, you look at my age and younger, and there's this phenomenon called the rise of the nuns. These are people who, um, who don't have a, a religious affiliation but consider themselves very spiritual. Sometimes I refer to that as like buffet spirituality. Um, people will, will kind of move from belief system to belief system or more likely merge them together. Like I'll take a little Jesus, I'll take a little Buddha, I'll take a little Oprah, and that will be my spirituality for, for the day. So what are we, what are we to make of all of this. We have Jesus and, and all of his awesomeness, and we have this current cultural moment that we're in that's unlike anything any of us have ever experienced before, and we have a society that um, really, by and large, is looking like they don't want much to do with, with organized religion. Well, that's what we're going to spend um, the rest of the rest. We're going to spend the entire summer working on is where is God calling us to? What is he calling us to next? And what is our motivation? Why do we do the things that we do here at Crossroads? That's where we're going to start today as we tackle this concept of destination next. We want to look today at why we do what we do. And it, it comes right from a New Testament book, the book of First John. It's a, it's a little book, and I'm going, to read, uh, I'm going to read us 14 verses out of chapter 4. This is starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. So if you're the kind that likes to just jump ahead, get right to the punchline, we love because he first loved us. That's our motivation. But we're going to dive deep into what that means. And the first thing we need to know is this book, this letter that John wrote, is more like, a, more like a sermon that he wrote to the house churches that were in Ephesus. Remember in Acts, the, the churches that Paul planted in Ephesus. And there was a group of people who broke off from the, these house churches. And there were um, 
they were kind of developing their own teaching and it was having really adverse effects on the community of believers. And th the three of the big things that they were teaching are this, that one, Jesus wasn't really a man. And if Jesus wasn't really a man, um, they, they would say that he just seemed to be, he was just spirit that seemed to be a man. Um, in order for Jesus to be the perfect atoning sacrifice for the sins of mankind, he had to be 100% God and 100% man. That would um, undo his, his divinity, his being, his everything that we believe in as him. The other thing that they taught was that the physical body and all matter are evil. Therefore, it doesn't really matter what we do in, to, through our bodies or anybody else's body. And finally, they taught that salvation comes through um, special mystical knowledge. And you sum all that up, and they were denying who Jesus was. There was a growing immorality and indifference to sin, and there was a creation of this mystical elite. Only a handful of people actually knew salvation and experienced God. So John wrote this book to combat these teachings, and the big way he went about this first half of the book is he, he says God is light. Second half of the book, he says God is love. And it really is concentrated in this chapter four. And that's what we're focusing on. That's our motivation, that God is love. And as we dive into the different scriptures, I remind us on a pretty regular basis that when we see words or phrases repeated, that we should stop and we should pay attention to them and figure out why they're repeated, what's important about them, what the author might have been trying to say to the original audience what the author might have been trying might be trying to say to us and the first one that we see repeated is god is love this is important because it's not love is not something that god does love is something that god is uh, it means that love isn't one of his activities it means that all of his activities are loving love is god's very being we're going to get more into that um, in just a second, but that's, that's foundational to what we're, what we're doing here. The second one, love is made complete. So um, this, is, this is hugely important. This is about God's love, which comes to us through him, and then it's perfect, right? There's There's nothing to be added to God's love, nothing to be taken away. He cannot love us anymore. He cannot love us any less. What makes it complete is how we experience it. And what scripture tells us the way to complete love is it has to go from God to us through others, right? Back to God and to others. That's how we make love complete. So those are two phrases that we see repeated out there and embedded in that love made complete is the, the, um, the command, the idea of loving one another. All right, so to understand this idea of God is love and love made complete, we're going to drill down further into the text. And in each one of these slides that are going to show up in the, the bottom corner, there's a reference and um, kind of what I've encapsulated or tried to encapsulate from that, from that verse. The first one is this, God's love is evidential. When Jesus walked this earth, he was a walking, talking piece of evidence that pointed to the God of the universe. What he, his very being, what he did, what he said, how he acted, how he treated people, where he went, all pointed to the goodness and the unconditional love of, of, the, of the God of the Bible, the God of the universe. After the ascension, 
That role falls to us, to his church, to the believers of Jesus Christ. The way we treat each other now is supposed to give evidence to the the existence of a perfectly kind and loving God. God's love is evidential. God's love is concrete. It has been perfectly demonstrated for us in Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. It is a tangible expression of how God feels about us and the lengths that he would go to for us. God's love is concrete. God's love is definitive. And this one is so important, you guys, because right now, love has been, the idea of love, the word love has been beat up and twisted and turned around. God is the author of love. He's the only one who gets to define it. And as I was studying for this, I came across this definition, which is fantastic. The commitment to sacrifice one's most beloved possession for another's gain. That's the definition of the love that God has for us. The commitment to sacrifice one's most beloved possession for another's gain. So this is God's standard of love. This is what it means. That's how we should define love. That's how God defined, defines love. And he came and he demonstrated, he did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And he gave us an example as a being who is love of what we're capable of when we experience his love as his love flows through us. God's love is definitive. God's love is reliable. We can put our faith in God's love. We can trust it. We can give our lives to it, knowing that God at his very being is love, and he's for us, and he's with us. God's love is reliable. God's love is protective. And there are two things, right? The the scripture told us that there's no fear in love. We don't have to fear God's judgment. When God offers his love to us, through Jesus, and we remain in that love by loving him in return and by loving others. There's no fear of judgment. The second thing is, is that we don't have to fear anything that might happen to us, happen to the people around us, or, or anything else that's going down, because nothing can separate us from the love of God. His love is perfect, and it's not going anywhere, and it cannot be taken away from us. God's love is protective. God's love is generative. God's love is the source of all love defined as giving one's, a commitment to give one's most prized possession, most beloved possession for another's gain, right? God is the author of that. It comes from him. And as it comes from him, it goes out and it creates more love. God's love is generative. God's love is commanded. And as we look at that, we're like, oh, well, that doesn't really seem like love if, it's, if, it's, if it has to be commanded. But here's the thing. God's commands are good, and they're good for us because they flow, again, out of his being. All of his activities are loving. So if he commands something, it's for our good, for his glory, for our benefit. We receive this love from him, and we can give this love to others knowing that God is for us, down to his very being. All right, so we know, just from these 14 verses, we know that God is love. We now know what love looks like. And we know that love cannot be fully experienced. The love that is God cannot be fully experienced unless we share it. And we know 
that sharing God's love means that we give evidence to God. It means that our acts of love are concrete. They're tangible. That specifically, our actions, we express the fact that we are willing to sacrifice. We sacrifice for the good of others. The love that we show to others is reliable and protective. We are the kind of people who can be counted on in good times and in bad. And our love is a response. It's a response to God, to his love that he shows and demonstrated to us. And it's a response of obedience to his command to love him. I want to be really, really clear for a second here. When, like I, I mentioned at the beginning, the idea, the word love has been beat up and abused and um, this love is not, this is not rom-com love. This is not Hallmark card love. This is not Jesus is my boyfriend love. This is not some cheap imitation. This love is perfect. This love is I've got your back. I would, I did die for you so that you and I could be in relationship and spend eternity together. That's what this love is. That is our motivation Our motivation is that God's love is trustworthy. Our motivation, why we do what we do, why Crossroads exists, why we work so hard is because we have the perfect example of what love is in Jesus. We have a concrete example in Jesus. Our motivation is the the willingness to look at Jesus' sacrifice, his model, and to do that for others. Our motivation is to make God's love complete by returning it to him and giving it away to others. This is our motivation. This is how we move forward. This is what's next for us, to grow in our understanding and experience of Jesus so that his love flows out of us back to God and to others. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much um, that you are love. Nothing to be added to it, nothing to be, could, that could be taken away. Perfect love. And you freely give that to us. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, would you work in us and through us so that we might share that love with others? Holy Spirit, would you prompt us to return that love to you from where it came May we be the kind of people who can be relied upon, who point people back to God because of the way we treat each other, because of our love. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us first. Amen.